1: Again, everybody. I'm Ricky Mass from MLB.com, alongside Director of Braves Alumni Relations Greg McMichael, and welcome to Behind the Braves, the official podcast of the Atlanta Braves, presented by Billy Reed. Yes, that's right. If you haven't listened to last, last week's episode yet, meet our proud new sponsor, Billy Reed. He was our guest last week. We had a great time talking with him. Uh, Billy is an award-winning fashion designer who is redefining global style from his home base in the Shoals in Alabama. We went and uh, visited him in the Shoals, and man, it's beautiful out there. He's got a great place. Uh, Billy is a diehard baseball fan who grew up cheering on the Braves, and he offers a line of Atlanta inspired hats, t shirts, and accessories that embody the soul of our city. He and his team craft luxurious, made in the USA shirts, denim, and more, all with a timeless modern style that will have you wearing them again and again. Experience them for yourself at his two Atlanta shops, one in Buckhead and one at White Provisions, or discover them online at BillyReed.com. That's BillyReed, R E I D.com. So go check out Billy. Yeah, well, thank you. Well, Billy makes it easy, man. You know what? It's like his clothes. It's just nice and easy and casual and and sharp. You know, it's good. Yeah, it's good. Yeah, he's Uh, right. He's right there in line with us. We're still very, um, or I say we because I mean we and. Uh, Cameron Buzz Parker everybody here with Brave Vision that was just helping us tape today's episode mm-hmm. we're all a little envious of your uh, your time with Billy out there in the shoals and getting to play baseball with Jack White and the mariachi band on the field i think is the main thing we were focusing on <laughs> do you think they should do you think that major league baseball should look into hey, having mariachi bands I've, on I've, the field for I I went and talked to Scott Cunningham and i told him dude if
2: you want if you want the battery to be hopping you need to hire that mariachi band to come out and play during Los Bravos and then book them for the rest of the year because they were outstanding
1: i would love to you know, i live here in the battery in the apartments over here and when i walk to the ballpark every day to walk by i feel like walking by a mariachi band every day would just brighten my day that much more and i would enjoy it so right, i you have my vote for that. yeah i fully endorse that well okay so you, you and i joke about being um hillbillies <laughs> Well, not joke about it, because we are. That's <laughs> what we are. There's nothing to joke about. There's nothing to joke about. That's just the reality of the thing. Uh, so today, we decided all right, we better have somebody that's much, much smarter than us mm-hmm. on, that uh, knows what they're talking about and aren't just out here throwing it against the wall like like you and I. And that's uh, Jason Parry, Assistant General Manager, uh, Head of Research and Development for the Braves. We first, I know we talked to Jason last year when we went to Vegas for the winter meetings. Uh, when We were out there to interview Perry and also Greg at his house out there we we talked with Jason one night at a reception at the hotel and we both came away from that going, man. We got to get Jason on. We got to get Jason on because he's just such an interesting guy. Uh, his job is fascinating, and what he does, and his background is fascinating. So, I was really excited to have him on and uh, just talk a little bit about uh, Jason. And um, you're the former player. It's fascinating. I can't wait for you all to hear this because Greg and Jason talking about pitching and how it's taught today in the use of analytics is, is really interesting. Yeah, I was I was wanting to
2: talk a lot more, and so we got to have him back on because there are so many more things I want wanted to ask him about it and i did i did ask him a question just trying to get him to spill some maybe he's got some secret project he's working on but i know he wasn't going to tell us but um maybe it was a nice try i know i thought i'd ask but yeah i mean you know how sometimes when somebody's talking you have no idea what they're saying you just kind of smile and nod to make them think that you kind of know what they're talking about but that's uh, how i feel most of the time (laughs) (laughs) but go ahead (laughs) no he uh is very very um very uh Smart guy, but what he's doing in the game today, he's on the cutting edge. I mean, our our staff, like he talked about how he helped, um, you know, several teams, you know, work on their analytics department. He got to start his own down in Miami. But uh, but what they're doing here, the Atlanta Braves, and how they're helping this team win, is is really really interesting. And I'd love to be a fly on the wall, and mm-hmm. be in some of those meetings and all that. And but we got a little glimpse of just how his mind works and some of the things that he's doing and how he helps his team on a daily basis. But you know what? And I know he's proud of the work he's doing, just like we're proud of the work we're doing, because the team is doing doing their job. They're winning ball games, and so whenever the team out there is putting up wins. And everybody's proud of what because it takes it takes a you know a lot of teamwork not just with the guys on the team it takes a lot of teamwork in the in the business office in the baseball ops and the scouting. There's a lot of things that go into that team winning and and so you know hats off to these guys for what they're doing and how they're helping on a daily basis. But then you know their information and we talked about this. Their information has to get filtered through the coaches so that they can they know best how to how to help implement it with with the team and with the players. You can't just you know, you know, dump a, a box full of papers down there with with information and expect that it's going to get processed properly. So it's they're doing a great
1: job of really working with the coaching staff. Absolutely. And you touched on it there. It's a phrase or something I've talked about. I know I mentioned it when we had Alex on because he's been on a couple of times and I may have mentioned it when we interviewed Perry last year. I would just love to be able to be a fly on the wall mm-hmm. with baseball ops and just to see how they do things on a daily basis, uh, both on a daily basis and then also, say, for the trade deadline and then when the offseason starts and trades and all that negotiates, I'm so fascinated by it. So anytime we're able to have one of those guys or one mm-hmm. of those outstanding people from, from baseball ops in the front office, it's always a treat for us. And you and I are both just ha- kind of hanging on every word, and we come away from it with – Just wishing we had another hour to ask questions, and that's exactly how we felt today. So without further ado, here he is, Braves Assistant General Manager and Head of Research and Development, Jason Paré.
2: Well, uh, hey Jason, hey. Um, welcome to Behind the Braves, and appreciate you joining us today. Thanks, guys. Happy to be here. Yeah, well, we've uh, we talked at the winter meetings, and uh, knew we wanted to have you on at some point and um love what you've been doing with the team and very and fascinated about all the stuff that you do and i don't think ricky and i probably know uh very much about what you do and i know our fans don't so we definitely wanted to have you on talk about kind of what's going on in your world exactly what you do and kind of give us a little tutorial on how you impact the team because i think this is just um you know it's just the, the where we are in the game of baseball today is um is is fascinating to a lot of us that played and and guys are around the game we understand a little bit of it but we really probably don't know exactly what's going on and maybe we can pry out of you maybe some stuff that you're you're working on that's not that's not too uh that's not too far out there but anyway we uh we're glad you're on great happy to be here yeah well um tell us a little bit about just from uh, you know what what's going on today in the game um, from your perspective, and kind of just a general, from a, a novice perspective, you know, if a novice is listening to you, what can you boil it down a little bit about what you do to impact the team on a daily basis?
0: Sure. So I think the essence of what. R&D, whatever buzzword you want to use is is using information to make data-driven decisions about baseball or data-driven recommendations. So, I think there's sort of a narrative in baseball um, that R&D or analytics is going too far or is crowding out scouting or crowding out development. I think that couldn't be farther from the truth. I think that if you look at the game in the last few years, R&D analytics departments have exploded but scouting departments are bigger. International scouting is bigger. Information on the amateur scouting side is bigger. I think teams as they've evolved in their decision making process have realized that just any information from any source is something that they want to use and they want to use to make more effective decisions. Because as we know, I mean, these are millions of dollars or multi-million dollar decisions that we're making on an everyday basis. So we want to have as much information from as many different perspectives as possible. So the way that I see R&D and analytics is just another vote, another piece of information in that process. And I think if we can use lessons and techniques from business intelligence or economics or other disciplines to help make more effective data-driven recommendations, folding in scouting and development and our field staff and all of that stuff and baseball expertise. We're going to be doing better than our opponents. Mm.
2: Um yeah. yeah, that's that's a great word. And what what what's interesting to me, being on the business side of it now, we're we're heavily in analytics and, and how to make the business run better, how to better serve the customer and all that kind of stuff. And um, I think what's interesting about as well about baseball, being in it a long time for myself, I'm probably Um, I'm a little bit older than you, so um, I can say that baseball has always been slow to change. Mm -hmm. And even when we were playing we wanted to have certain things as a, as a player to help benefits, whether it was a chiropractor whether it was, you know, certain things in the weight room. Baseball just always seemed a little bit hesitant. It is maybe too, you know, the word old school is thrown out a lot, but but we really felt like there were some things that we wanted to do to push the envelope and we were kind of restricted because baseball was always the slowest to change when you look at all the other sports. Mm-hmm. So I can imagine the resistance that you've kind of um, encountered as you've gone through. I mean, your, your career started with the Oakland A's you talk about an internship with them and then you went to the Indians and then you went to the Marlins and so you've seen probably a lot more and you probably can tell a better story about that and just just when you come in talking the way you do and way you view things it's probably been a little bit you've seen a lot of hesitation
0: definitely and I think it, the different stops and the different disciplines and jobs that I've had it, there's definitely been varying levels of resistance if you want to call it that And I, I mean I agree that baseball is often slow to change very steeped in tradition I think it's it's always been that way, and to some extent, it will always be that way. It's part of the beauty of the game, right? I mean, this is a game that we've been playing for 150 years, and on the field, there are very few things that have changed about it, which is, I think, amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, in terms of the decision making, though, as you said, there are certain things that we want to change quicker than others uh, if we're able to get competitive advantages on our opponents. So, um, I, you know, resistance might be the wrong word. I think that uh, people have become a lot more open minded mm-hmm. over the last decade or so. Um, and I've always made an effort in my career to get to know scouts get to know our development people, our field staff, and kind of understand what they're seeing and to sort of learn how they approach the game and see if that if I can use that to make me better in my, in my disciplines. Mm. So I think there's a tremendous amount of things that scouting and traditional evaluation of players can lend to the R&D side of things. I hope there's some things that those guys can learn from us. Um, but the most effective departments that I've worked at have blended them effectively and used the strengths and weaknesses of each one and kind of been conscious of what those are. Mm.
1: It's interesting, even in what I do on the social media side of things, I mean, analytics have become a big part of what we do, too, in that even every single little tweet, every little dumb gif, every little thing that we do, even all the silly things on Twitter, the day after, all of this is input into a a system. And then throughout the year, there's a, just, I'm going to give her a shout out right now because she does great work, a wonderful woman in New York named Caroline who works for MLB who... Does all runs all the analytics on every social post from every team, and then she comes to us throughout the year and says, Hey, this type of post is not performing well, maybe you shouldn't be doing it anymore. And on the flip side, she's like, Hey, this type that you're doing here. It's actually she's like surprisingly doing well. Maybe you should look at doing that more. I mean, it's all about getting the brand out there more and marketing better and and all of that. So it's just it's interesting how analytics is not just it's not in baseball. It's not just confined to the field. It's you said it's what what you do in the marketing side. It's what I do in the social media side. Um, just I know no do, two days are the same for you. But if you could just what is a typical day for Jason? What
0: is that? What is that for you? So I'm not much of a morning person. So I roll same. in around a, <laughs> roll in around nine fifteen nine thirty. We have a daily meeting in my department at 945 we call it our stand-up it's something that we took from software development they have like this scrum or agile methodology where uh, it kind of informs how they work on certain projects and how they prioritize things and one of the things we stole from them is this concept of a stand-up meeting where we all just get together in a room we actually sit down for it which is sort of betraying the <laughs> name but uh, just everyone goes through what they did yesterday what they're doing today if they're having any issues and, and that's it it takes about 10 or 15 minutes but it's a really good way to connect with the guys and to keep a, a measuring stick on what I'm working on what they're working on prioritizing things we have a couple guys who work remotely uh, generally so it's good to like keep in contact with them it helps them feel part of the team as we're doing things um so we'll have that stand-up meeting and then i'll typically pull a couple of the guys into the office just to talk about some of the projects that they're working on um whether it's you know Looking at the way to approach certain certain hitters in the game, whether it's building something into our information systems that we have, whether it's the hiring process, which is starting very soon, looking at interns and full-time job candidates. Um, you know, we try to we try to have a fun time at lunch. Occasionally, we'll bring <laughs> in some food for the for the department. Uh, we had a we had a big tie dinner last night before the game. Nice. Something we try to do uh, to keep the guys uh, motivated. Um, and then the rest of the day, it's just uh, yeah, n- no two days are the same. Sometimes it's meeting with Alex and Perry and Alex and, and Mike Fast about you know, potential. Win- waiver claims or decisions that we're going to make. Um, I tend to watch a little bit of video from the previous minor league games, uh, the previous night's games. So just to keep tabs on what our guys are doing, looking at the game reports, things like that. And then um, I'll end up doing some of my own work, whether it's research or administration or reading through some of the, the write-ups and research that uh, the guys in my department have put together. So yeah. it's funny, as I, I tell people, like as, I, as I've transitioned into a role like this, we have a department of between 10 and 12 people, depending on how you, uh, how you count it. Um, and then there's the major league operations department as well. And it's funny, like, I feel like I end every day and I'm like, I didn't do any work today. But <laughs> I guess the nature of the job has changed to, uh, my role is to make the guys that work for me, are all tremendous. And I, I feel really, really lucky to work with such a gifted group of people. Um, make sure that they're kind of working on the right things, that they're prioritizing things correctly and to, to help them kind of go through any sort of, work through any sort of difficulties that they're having. Um, so I think we have a really good department of guys. It's just a very, uh, it's a very fun place to come to work. Um, but it, it's funny how my role has changed from like kind of the person in the database, doing the work and, and cranking out the research to um, the person that's kind of overseeing that and m- facilitating those things that are being done now by people who are way better than me uh, yeah. at doing that.
2: Well, you know, it's, it, it, what's interesting is that you are now. I mean, even though your your job is data analytics and all that you're going to do, but now you're managing people. Right. I mean, you're you're trying to create an environment that is good. I was I was taking some of the interns who helped us for alumni weekend. I took them out for lunch today, and I said, Hey, you ever see those guys up in baseball ops you guys hang with them a little bit and like yeah yeah we it took us a few months but now we you know we know the hangout we're getting together and doing some things like that so i was curious because you know you guys were kind of separated a little right. bit from the rest of us that were uh, on the business side but uh but yeah it was funny i was asking but yeah so your role has changed because now you've got people that you've got to encourage and you've got to make sure they're they're being healthy and doing doing uh, doing their job well and and i guess projects are a big thing right i'm sure alex and and uh those guys come to you and say, hey, we need to know this. And so you've got to now set Set the tone and create a project for everybody, and come up with the information. Right?
0: Absolutely. And we have different guys in the department whose uh, specialties are a little bit different. So if we have a project for amateur scouting, we might give it to one of the guys. If we have a project for Major League operations, we might give it to Mm. another of the guys. Although I think we've struck a good balance between um, specialization and generalization, Uh, so everybody feels like they're kind of a part of every project, while we have certain people that do certain things. Mm. So um, yeah, I think it's I think it's going really well. Well, Good. Well, I know that coming into the
1: trade deadline,
0: I. I think it was no secret
1: that the biggest need for for the team was was the bullpen, and you guys went out and addressed it. I to me, the clear winners of the deadline. If you're going to declare winners and losers of the deadline, I think you guys were were at the top of the list, and that showed. I mean, the results speak for themselves with what Mark, Shane, and Chris have done. I guess my question here is, how much sleep did you get the week leading up to the trade <laughs> deadline? I all this, I just heard rumors that you guys were barricaded in a room with just <laughs> regular pizza deliveries, and that was it for days on end. We got so. a few
0: lunches, yeah. yeah. Um, uh, it's you know what the last couple of days, it's not it's not too crazy until it gets crazy, if that makes any sense. So I think the last Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday was on a Wednesday this year. Um, the last three days are pretty crazy just with things kind of flying back and forth, but even it doesn't really get that crazy until the last 48, 36 hours or so. I think the prices are just too high and the teams going are going to sell or kind of wait for the best deal that they can get. So, um, a lot of the work is concentrated in the last, I'd say 36 hours. Um, prior to that, it's, Hey, be available, come up with your, your, your pref lists, come up with the ways that you would value players and potentially creative targets, but um, it's just the last couple of days where it gets like really nuts, and there's kind of that fog of war because you know you're trying to do two or three different things at once. And then there's another team you're competing against that's doing something that's affecting what you're doing, and uh, it's really fun, but it is very stressful. And I think uh, Alex and Perry do a tremendous job of managing that, and it's been uh, it's been fun to see that and kind of learn from them because mm-hmm. I think if I were thrown into doing that, I would I would be just tearing my hair out. So, um. <laughs> well, I wanted to ask you about
2: something very specific that that I've noticed, and tell me how that maybe it relates to what you're doing and and i, I have an idea but i just kind of i think it's a cool a cool idea, and i just want to use max free as an example okay so um in in the past couple years, I, I, and just a little background on I me, mean, I've taught for about 15 or 20 years since I got done playing, and I've always been fascinated with, you know, wh- how can we make this guy a better pitcher? You know, whether he's 8 years old or 18 or 28, how do we make him better? And I've seen the evolution in in pitching where they've gone to this holy grail that they think spin rate, how do we increase the spin rate? And if we can increase the spin rate and throw the ball higher in the zone, that's, the, that's like the ultimate – you know, to be able to get people out. So um, I don't think they've really come up with that. You know, as an instructor, I've never seen any way to do that. I know how to decrease the spin rate, right? You can go to Mm knuckleball, you can go to change-up, you can go to sinkers, and and you can decrease it. But how you actually teach a guy to increase it, I think they're still looking for that, if I'm I'm not mistaken. Mm -hmm. We have noticed that um, the ball – if you have a higher spin rate, the guys who naturally do that for whatever reason, that the ball um, stays up and hitters seem to be, it's a deceptive type of thing and they pitch. And I noticed it seemed like earlier on Max Fried was pitching that way, but I've, I've noticed and maybe it's not just me, but maybe you can address it. But the fact that when I see Dallas Keuchel and how he's pitching and how Soroka's pitching, it seems like Max has kind of evolved a little bit to where he's pitching more like that then he no, he doesn't necessarily have the sinker, but he seems like his effort has gone down a little bit, mm-hmm. and he's pitching more as an influence of maybe what Dallas has been here. Whereas early on, I think he was really trying to hit that ball up in the zone, you know, working on the spin rate. Has there been some uh, evolution in how you've analyzed his game to where that's been better for him, or is that is that too specific? For
0: no, me? that's fine. I, I would say Max is a, a tremendous athlete. I mean, this is a guy that didn't have a slider. Came into spring training and said, hey, I was messing around with a slider, and now slider is arguably his best pitch, right? <laughs> um, messing around with a two-seam, he threw it in a game, it was great. So Max, for him, pitching approaches, the sky's the limit for that guy. And I right. think that the way that we approach players from a data perspective, just kind of uh, generally speaking, is that we don't try to we try to individuate very much. We don't try to say, hey, everybody has to be a high fastball, curveball guy, because certain guys don't throw fastballs that right. play up in the zone, certain guys don't throw curveballs. So in terms of the data usage for trying to help make our players better, um, the things that we present to the coaching staff and we could go through all the proper channels but we try to make sure we try to um, advise things that fit with what a, a player is able to do and the way that their stuff plays um, and not everybody's going to be one type of pitcher so Max I think you've seen that transition as partly due to the guys that he's pitching with and the, the mentorship that we've had from some of the veterans and I think that's a great thing I mean Max Free can succeed as a uh, four seam curveball guy he could succeed as a slider two seam guy I mean he's just he's so talented that um, it's part of the natural evolution of pitchers and, and kind of as you go through a season I would think that there's certain things that you do that work early on and they probably stop working because teams adjust to you and you have to adjust back as you know mm-hmm. I mean it's just such a it's such a cat and mouse game throughout the entire season so I think that's part of what you're seeing with him and our role is to support him with whatever data we can and support Cranny and Marty and all those guys with um, whatever they need from us to try to optimize that approach, with, approach within the pit what the pitcher is yeah. comfortable with.
2: Do they ever come to you and said really I don't understand why my changeup down here is getting hit the way it is. Can you show me the calculation? Go back and can you compile that information to let them know about the pitch in this zone is is more effective than the pitch and where you're trying to throw it here? Because you know it was taboo to throw changeups inside mm-hmm. back in the day, and I I'm. I did a lot because I saw that guys were just hooking them foul and it would get me a cheap strike. But it seems like that there's more guys that are trying to throw front door sliders, you know, change ups on the inside. And and so, do they ever come to the pitchers come to you, or does, you know, Cranny say, Hey, can you get us some information on this pitch right here on this team or that team or what I've done over the last month or so?
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I think uh, Cranny and Marty do a really great job of blending their expertise and what they're seeing with their eyes with what they know that we can kind of provide for them in terms terms of the data stuff. So yeah, the example that you gave, that's certainly something that we would be able to do for them. Um, and they've asked for many things like that. And sometimes it's them asking us for something. Sometimes it's us kind of proactively saying, Hey, we've noticed this. If you want to present it to the pitcher or what do you think of this? Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, we try to make it a very collaborative process. I think, you know, that comes from the top. That's Alex Anthopoulos who, you know, you hire people to do their jobs. You hire coaches to coach players. We can make recommendations and we can, you know, send down data. But at the end of the day, it's up to the coaches and to the players to, to do it, um, or to choose what, what they're going to do and which pieces to to use it's, it's their careers. Hmm. So, um, we can, all we can do is kind of provide the, the, the best data driven recommendations that we can. And then those guys, you know, they'll pick and choose what they use. And I think that it's a really good process and it's a good filter because sometimes some of the stuff that we'll, that we'll send down, I think probably, um, You know, sometimes there's a feel aspect of what pitchers are comfortable with or what catchers are going to call. And I mean, there are certain in-game things that the coaches are they're much closer to it. So they have a better sense of that. So it helps makes us it helps to make us better understanding what they're seeing and how they're kind of filtering and using this information as well. Mm So
1: do you, is there ever any direct interaction with, with you and the players on this stuff? Or is it pretty much all you're sending it to the coaching staff and the coaching staff is up to them to present to the players?
0: Yeah. It's, it's usually sending it through the coaches. I mean, that's, it's their expertise and they're the ones that have the relationships with the players. You know, i occasionally, um, I'll talk to a guy after a game and say, great job, really like the way you use this pitch, whatever. But anything that's a, a recommendation, uh, even if the players ask for it, we, we go through the coaches. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Sometimes there's, you, you, you have to filter the information.
2: At times, through maybe a coach or an instructor, because they may know how to deliver it a little bit better. Absolutely. And and there was a there was a term that we've always used that sometimes you can you can have so much information that it gets in your head and you don't know how it really fits. And and I think about golf all the time. You can't have four swing swing thoughts, mm-hmm. right? You're you're best if you have one swing thought. If you have more than that, then you're probably not going to play very good because you focus left less on the competition and less on the game and you end up being more Kind of you know uh, mechanical, mm-hmm. and I think sometimes information can do that. So you really need a professional who can say, okay, well, we need to give him this information, but we need to give it in this way, especially a young kid. Now I know that's changed a lot because there's so much emphasis on the information on how it can help you strategically. But um, I just wondered, as a 28 year old, when I, if I would have had you and you know Leo and how we would have sat down and talked about it, it, it's fascinating to think about. Sure. How that would have really changed my game, and how I would have, you know, how I would have moved and and shifted, and and how how I would have become better, or um, or would I've just done the same thing? Do you have guys that would just say, hey, I, I like the information, but you know, this is a little too much, or or is it just kind of one of those things where we just keep giving, it and if you want to take it, that's fine. If not, then then you do what you want with it.
0: Yeah, it's certainly a sliding scale with players. There's certain guys that I mean, I think all of our players are very gifted and they're very they're very good. Um, There are certain guys that are, you know, more feel-based and, hey, you know, I don't want to kind of crowd my my mind with all this stuff. I'm just going to go – I'm going to throw what the catcher puts down. Um, We have other guys that are very, very into it, and it's kind of a sliding scale with all of them. And I think that's true for our major league players. It's true for our minor league players Mm -hmm. as well. One thing I will say that's changed a lot, I think one of the things in R&D, baseball analysis, whatever you want to call it, uh, the interaction – with the players, not necessarily people like me, but just the the use of the information to to help try to optimize players I think is something that you 've seen grow quite a bit just in the last few years um, and I think part of that is an outgrowth of the fact that these guys are playing as amateurs and they 're playing on fields that have trackman and rap Soto and flight scope and all this stuff and you know they have perfect game profiles where it has their diamond kinetics uh, swing speed and things like that so these guys are conscious of this uh, early on as a tool to separate themselves from the rest of the pack and then when they get into pro ball they're conscious of it as a tool to make them better players to give them a better chance to get to the major leagues so there is uh, I would say now more than ever an appetite from the players for this kind of information generally speaking but there's still guys that do it based on feel and and that's great I mean it's their careers and it's you know if they're going to be more successful just sort of go, going with the approach that they're used to that that's great and we're totally fine with that
1: <laughs> I was the the day that Brian McCann uh, signed to come back here last uh, last offseason we, we interviewed him for behind the Braves literally 20 minutes before his press conference and I, I came away from that uh, with two things that stuck out. One, he was just so excited to be home and be back. <laughs> but two, how excited and enthusiastic he was talking about the analytics of the game and the stuff that he had learned, it sounded like primarily during his time in Houston. And he's a guy that I think was drafted in 02, debuted in 05 kind of comes from a little bit more of the, the old school or at least that's what he was brought up in but he's clearly embraced kind of the where the game has gone so uh, with, with with catchers are catchers in particular are they are they a little bit more apt to maybe take in the data or reach out for the, for the data from you guys because they're the ones that have to work with the pitchers on a daily basis?
0: Yeah absolutely I mean the, we always talk in the office about how it's so hard to find catching because they're involved in every pitch of the game they have to handle the staff there's just so many responsibilities of those guys and using the information to help optimize the game plan is something that we, you know, we would like catchers to be able to do. Um, I think we're very fortunate to have two guys that have a tremendous combination of ability to use the data and baseball feel, I mean, between Flow and, and BMAC. And, you know, I haven't, I haven't talked as much uh, with Cervelli, but I mean, he's, I've heard really great things. We've, we've talked to him about a few things and he seems great as well. So that's one of the focuses that we have when we're looking at that position are guys that have their own feel but can blend it with some of the information that we're, yeah. that we're providing as well.
2: Well, we're certainly in a different age when, when you look at how kids are like. You made mention that that they're they're being brought up through Perfect Game and all these different groups on, on what they're expecting, what they're seeing, what they do. You know, it, it's hard for us to kind of relate some some way because we we were as the players, it was all field, it was it was backyard. You know, it was just it was just instincts and. Being being a, an instructor, I've seen some of that wane a little bit. It, it has concerned me. A couple of things concern me. Number one is is specialization too early. You know, kids just playing one sport, and um, and so one of the things I was going to say to you is, and I would love to know this, and it, I think it would take a lot of research. Is the game has not changed any from a health standpoint i've personally seen as far as we're still seeing uh, i think it's an epidemic in tommy johns and all the stuff that's going on and i think there's multiple factors number one is the is the, the the kids specializing they're playing early they're playing one sport early they're playing all these showcases and they and then the other thing is their effort their effort is as high as I've, every pitch is maximum effort and um, and so i think that's a lethal combination of why the body Getting beat up the way it is, I'd love to go back and and take every person that has had Tommy John and find out how they, you know, what kind of career they had, when they started, how much they threw, you know, and, and data data like that because I think um, just my gut tells me that it would be a lot of things that we know it's not about limiting pitches in the big leagues Mm -hmm. it's more about limiting them at 8 9 10 12 years old Um, and I remember Dr. Andrews talking about that uh, a high school pitcher his ligament red lines at 80 miles an hour in high school and we got kids throwing you know way over that Mm -hmm. it's amazing that they're even making it out of high school right (laughs) but uh, that was something I was thinking about with you have you guys done any of your own research at all about just how to make our players today healthier because pitchers obviously a big concern. They're only throwing five innings, and
0: you know, have, have you guys been involved in any of that kind of research? Yeah, I would say that um, predicting and quantifying injuries is something that teams have started to get on the last few years. Whether that's using biomechanical data or mechanical evaluation or certain types of video or things like that, yeah, we, we've we've invested a bit in that. We're mm. trying. I don't. I think we're very much at the beginning. I don't think we have any sort of secret secret sauce on that, and I think they're very few teams that do. Um, But I would say that that is kind of like potentially the next generation of like what what we do. Um, Mm. Keeping guys healthy, keeping them on the field um, is just such an important part of them not only developing but becoming valuable major league players that, um, yeah, I would agree with you that I I think there are certain aspects of the game today that probably incentivize behaviors that lead to more injury than Mm. than it used to be. Mm Mm-hmm.
1: You touched on, you know, players coming up younger and they're perfect game, and they're used to all the different met- the things on the field that, that are used to, to measure them and their abilities. I, I was I was going to ask you, and I was curious, like coming into a draft, how much are you able to use analytics and the things that you do with in looking at high school players and, and potential international signings? I mean, I I would think that there's some places where you you know the data is the, that you're collecting there is probably good, but I would think you also have to decipher between some places or things that maybe I don't know that this is right I mean how much are you able to actually effectively use analytics and in, in scouting uh, leading up to the draft?
0: We don't use it at all and nobody else should either. So. <laughs> okay. okay. <laughs> no, um, <laughs> Here you go. No, I'll say that, uh, you know, for myself and a couple other guys in the department, we really like the draft a lot. Um, the draft, amateur draft is fascinating because it's it's kind of the next generation of, now they're starting to be trackmans at D1 colleges. Mm-hmm. They're starting to be trackmans at, uh, trackmans and flight scopes and all that stuff, as I mentioned, at uh, showcases. So we have more data about players than we ever have before. Now, How can we combine that with the scouting look, which is still such an important part of amateur evaluation, right? Um, I mean, we have a bunch of guys going around the country spending basically every waking moment from January through June looking at these players and trying to optimize their schedules and get to see the right players and whatever. so yeah, there there are certain things in the data that we look at and things that we value and things that we can kind of combine with what the scouts are seeing. But you know the beauty of amateur scouting is that a scout can still go to some junior college that and see a guy that he's never heard of and he throws 95. And if that's if you're the guy that's seen that, you're gonna you're gonna get that player and you know you might have a major leader on your hands. So I think it's uh, there's a little bit of romanticism for me on the amateur scouting side, but I do think it's it's being combined with a lot more data now than we've ever had before, and it's up to us to figure out which pieces of that we can use and which pieces of you know the scouting look are, are the most relevant as well
2: yeah, it's a great combination where you can take, you know, you've got all these scouts for years have combed the country like you're saying, and but you've got this one guy that you're basically trusting in, and you got one cross-checker and another cross-checker that go in, and that's how they've collaborated in the past. So now you've got this other tool that can come in and kind of even more kind of back, you know, either um, I guess it would be uh, confirm what they're saying to some degree because there's still a big human element to it as far as scouts. Outing goes but uh, I love the scouts I mean sc- scouts were the guys that we they would call we'd go to the park and throw and they would you know have their gun out and talk to you about playing and come do the eye test with you and um, I got a big just some guys are really important to me like Roy Clark I don't know if you ever get a chance to meet I Roy yeah, but great. Um, Roy's been in the game a long time and there was just a, some guys that really had a lot of a lot of um, love for just because they were a part of my story and you think about like you said you romanticized that um so I want to ask you one other thing too so uh is there anything cutting edge that you can kind of give us a little hint on that maybe you're working on right now or or that's or a trend that you've seen in the game <laughs> that might
0: be something that we haven't thought of well, I think you guys are seeing on broadcast more than ever the Statcast data. So that's something that teams are looking at a lot more. Um, you see the the prevalence of infield shifts, outfield shifts, all sorts of interesting defensive alignments. That's something that um, you know we're always researching and trying to optimize. So, and I don't think that's any secret. Every team's trying to do that. And you'll see the you'll see the the four man outfield and the five man infield and all sorts of crazy stuff go on uh, every night in baseball. So, just trying to figure out um, data driven recommendations based on things that we've never been able to. to Collect data on before is a really big part of what we do. So any sort of new data source or th- something like that that we can actually use to make a, a little bit of a tweak to our existing processes, that's that's what we're looking for. So I think most most recently the StackCast stuff has been really big.
1: Okay, well, I'm always fascinated by anybody that works in the office or you know I'm working games in the press box. I, I love hearing the stories about how people got in into baseball and how they first made it in so you, you went to Yale so I'm just curious how do you go what did you study at Yale and then what was it that you just, that made you decide okay baseball that's what I'm going for that's, that's what I want to do with my life
0: yeah I was telling Dave O'Brien about this the other day so I
1: <laughs> yeah you're in the by the way p- plug you're
0: 35 under 35 in oh, the boy. athletic Jason's <laughs> featured in there that's uh, right, I read that. A great that's article
1: a great article yeah, yeah.
0: so I <laughs> I grew up in uh, just south of Providence Rhode Island the Red Sox are a religion there watch baseball growing up liked baseball terrible baseball player uh, I was a wrestler. I ran track, whatever. But I just the uh, ball sports, not great at them. Love watching them, but um, so I get to Yale, and uh, my roommate walked onto the baseball team. He was a kid from Texas. Ended up being their closer in two years. Sinker, sinker, slider guy. Ended up breaking a bunch of Ivy League records. Ended up being a really good pitcher. But uh, you know, we always kind of geeked out about baseball. We watched the early version of MLB TV when it was still frame by frame, you know, all that stuff. <laughs> yep. um, and I, he had a copy of Moneyball in his uh, in our room uh, sophomore year, and I read the book, and I was just man this is incredible like I, I like math and science but I love baseball um, I went in as a chemistry major biochemistry and I had my first chemistry lab where I'm spending five hours in a lab with just a few other people and it, it smells weird and uh, people are outside like enjoying themselves and whatever I'm just like nah, this this is not for me so I wanted to do something a little bit more focused on people um, and how they make decisions so I switched my major to cognitive science so I was able to, to take a lot of classes in economics behavioral economics understanding kind of the underpinnings of the human mind mind and like how we use information to make decisions. Mm-hmm. So I think it's a, there's sort of a tangential relation to baseball. And, uh, you know, I can see certain things that I've learned in college kind of apply in the way that we approach decision-making. Um, but it was more just, Hey, I want to do something that's, that's more interesting to mm-hmm. me. So, um, throughout that time, studying that stuff, uh, taking a couple comp sci classes, stat classes, things like that, uh, decided I wanted to get into baseball, was looking for internships, failed miserably for the first couple summers, went back home and worked at a different job. Um, and then w- one summer I was able to get an internship with the Cape Cod League. So, uh, again, not a lot going on baseball wise with that internship, but I just got to be around the best college mm-hmm. players for a summer, talk to scouts, talk to people who are making decisions, seeing these players, what they were seeing. Um, ended up working at Baseball Prospectus in sort of a remote role for a couple of years, uh, doing data queries and uh, sort of learning some of the database chops that I use on a daily basis here. Um, ended up yeah, working for Keith Woolner, who later went to the Indians. He ended up hiring me at the Indians. So my path in was one of uh, a lot of failures and intermittent successes. And I think uh, like anybody else in, in mm-hmm. positions like this in baseball, I think they'll tell you that there was a, uh, it's better to be lucky than good. So <laughs> <laughs> right place at the right time, all that stuff. But uh, I feel really lucky to be where I am now.
2: Well, you've, you've had some good mentors. I mean, you were over, at, I was on that, uh, that two or three years before Moneyball. That team in what 2001, mm-hmm. I was there in 99, so two years before. So Tim Hudson was a rookie, and um, and uh, they had some really good, uh, they had some really good players on that team, and so, but but I never got a chance to, to actually talk to Billy. I saw the movie, you know, and, and understand it. But th- what a great success! I mean, I think it's a success story. Everything that they've done, being a small market and being able to be every year they've got a team that's in the hunt you know and um, with the team I was on was no different Mm -hmm. but uh, then going of course the Indians would. I guess was John Hart with those guys at the time or was Dan O'Dowd
0: John Hart was gone by that time Uh, it was Mark Shapiro, Chris Antonetti, Mike Chernoff yeah those guys um, you know learned a lot from those guys tremendous amount I then went to Toronto uh, where I got to work with Joe Sheehan and Alex of course Mm. Uh, learned a lot there as well and then uh, was able to uh, I got called on permission called on me Uh, for the Miami job where they didn't have a department. So the opportunity, I loved working in Toronto and uh, just the opportunity to kind of have my own department and Mm -hmm. to start something from the ground up. I've been a part of two departments that were kind of just getting off the ground. So I'd seen a lot of things that, Hey, like this is a really great way to do this. A really great, great way to manage people. Hey, maybe this is something that we should invest in quicker. This is something that we shouldn't invest in until year three or four, that kind of thing. So I had my own thoughts about how to start a department and how to how to use sort of limited resources to align them and allocate them to to create a a decent R&D department as quickly as possible. So um, that was an interesting challenge in Miami. And uh, those guys treated me great there uh, for the year and a half, or two years that I was there. We were able to hire a couple people, get kind of things off the ground in terms of the data and the information systems. I feel really proud of what we were able to do there. Um, and then uh, Alex called with this job. And it was, I mean, just the opportunity to work for him again and work with Perry again and just the other, the leadership guys that we have together and the talent on the team and the people in the office and the fan base here and the park and just everything was just wow, like blown away.
2: Perfect storm, right? Yeah, absolutely. All all things came together yeah well we feel just the same on the business side I and mean, we've got great people and we were so excited when first Alex got hired and we knew his track record and then when he started assembling his team and getting a chance to meet you guys and then obviously you don't always know if it's going to translate onto the field and and if it does it may not be that quickly and we've been very fortunate that it just translated right away and yeah. and then um you know we had the right we got the right formula and and uh, we've just taken off from there so I mean we're all we all are about behind you guys we love what you do and um, we've been so excited about just to see this team play well just i'm sure you're you're proud of the product that goes out there and you feel like you're part i know on the business side we all feel that way and and uh we're
1: we're cheering just as much as everybody else that's it that's That's it Uh, just one quick last Mm -hmm. thing for me how often now do you ever every like have every now and then have like a flashback to what you're doing like doing what you're doing now do you ever flash back to that internship at the Cape Cod League and some of the things you were doing there, and just <laughs> kind of smile? Were you passing the hat? For, yeah, because yeah, for me, I know that every now and then I'll think back to something I was doing, say ten years ago, before I broke in. Yeah, like this is—it's been a fun trip to get here. I scrubbed oh, a couple
0: like. toilets in my day. So yeah, right, right. <laughs> right. yeah, yeah, no, it's uh, I, like I said, I feel really lucky to be here and to work with you guys and with all the people we have in baseball operations, and just it's, this is just such a great situation, and it makes it fun to come to work mm-hmm. every day.
2: Well, you had you have your minor league story, right? I mean that's basically your journey is the minor
1: leagues minor leagues i had and and what did I you went the, i went in the minor leagues but i was in <laughs> let's see uh there was a dry cleaners there there was an environmental cleanup company which was basically cleaning up nasty stuff go. on the side of the road right. so it was it was a long strange trip yeah. but it was a good
2: one yeah. so yeah well that's you know that's that's part of the journey, you know. We all so, have those, those. That's what make us who we are. And um, but we're we. Uh, it's been good getting to know you and talking to you a little bit about. It. Hopefully, the fans have have uh, learned a little bit more about what's going on. And and uh, I know that we're all cognizant of what. We see on TV, you know, we see, we see the shifts. And I I guess I just have one question: Is do you think we're gonna will ever? You guys ever talked about you know when everybody moves that way, it's real easy to get a hit if you hit it over there. We saw it last (laughs) night, right? That's right, twice, right? Yeah, Yeah. twice. I mean,
0: Freddie with that ball to left. I mean, he's such a gifted hitter that he can hit it wherever he wants. But if you're gonna give him that half of the infield, he's gonna hit it. He'll hit a chopper over there and take the double. Um, Ozzy with the the infield in and everything. It was just, hey, I mean, we love to get players who can hit the ball where they. They want to hit it. Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah, I think it's it's a balance, right? It's a cat and mouse game, like I said. So, you know, we'll we'll play the percentages, and we'll you know we'll take our lumps when it doesn't work. But you know, we'll we'll do our best to get guys who can kind of uh, you know keep the other team on their toes.
2: And then we got to stay healthy, right? No so, question,
0: that's the biggest yeah, thing.
2: I think we're coming out of a little bit of a funk of injuries, and hopefully, it'll lead us right into the right into the playoffs. I right? mean, it's,
0: it's one thing in my career that I didn't fully appreciate until the last few years, kind of being in it. In August and September, it's just um, was it Ty Cobb that said baseball's something like a war, right? And you never feel that so acutely until you're in a playoff hunt in August and September and guys are injured, Mm -hmm. guys are playing hurt, everyone's tired. I think, you know, we've been very fortunate to get some really great players um, as uh, sort of depth for us. That's really helped us kind of, Keep the uh, keep the the tide high um, yeah. until our mm-hmm. until our starters get back. So
1: well, the the work you guys have done has been incredible. It speaks for itself. I mean, I think coming into the season, there was I spent too much time on Twitter, so I see a lot of the negativity <laughs> and the criticism out there, but. I think it's shown to this point that you guys were making the right moves. The Donaldson move has obviously mm-hmm. paid off in I mean, unbelievably that guy. I love watching that guy play every day. Who by the way, who knew I, I didn't know that he was as good of a defender oh. as
2: he is. I love watching him play defense. I think we day. got four gold glovers in the infield. I, I mean too. it's like yeah.
1: But those then, guys are incredible but managing to get Keichel and then the moves you made at the deadline and then the moves you made after the deadline and, and filling all those holes every time somebody's gone down, you guys have plugged it seamlessly and the, the work that Alex, Perry, you and your whole staff have done has been and it's just it's been, been phenomenal, and uh, I know from the business marketing side, we've been uh, incredibly proud of, of what you guys have done, and just happy to be be a part
0: of it. So that's right. I appreciate yeah, it. Thanks Thank for joining us. Sure thanks, thing. Jason. Thanks, guys.
1: Our thanks again to Braves Assistant General Manager and Head of Research and Development, Jason Parry, for joining us here on Behind the Braves, presented by Billy Reed. That was a really fun conversation, and we're very much looking forward to having Jason on again at some point um, in the future. Other things we're really looking forward to, it's always a fun time at the ballpark when it's Los Bravos Day or Los Bravos Weekend, excuse me, here at the ballpark. Uh, The guys are going to be wearing the Los Bravos jerseys, and then you've got some... Well, I think we touched on it last week, but it, we definitely need to talk about it again. The class of guys you've put together for Los Bravos uh, weekend and Alumni Sunday is is outstanding.
2: Yeah, we've got uh, Rico Cardi coming in from the Dominican Republic and Rafael for call, Dennis Martinez, Eddie Perez, uh, just it's an A-list right there, A-list group, and they, they're they going to be here with us Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, and they're going to finish up their time uh, with Alumni Sunday. So come on out and check those guys out, meet them, see them. Uh, we'll be out in the battery at the Georgia Power Pavilion, sign
1: autographs like we normally do. We'd love to see everybody out. Awesome. Well, I'm looking forward to that, and as I made mention of last week on the show when we were talking about it, kudos to you for not only putting together an A-list uh, class for for Los Bravos. Weekend, but uh, that all the different eras, uh, so many different eras of Atlanta Braves baseball are represented. It's it's outstanding. So awesome job by you, for that. And then let's see, Brave for a Day is that on sale now?
2: Yeah, yeah. I, I want to say one other thing about Alumni yeah. Sunday. I do um, talking about the eras. So the, our last weekend will be September twenty second. Uh, for Alumni Sunday, and we've actually got a group of from the 70s. So we've got Phil Negro, Gene Garber, and Tom Pachorik. So that'll be a group uh, blast from the past there in the 70s. So come out and see them as well. Um, I'll talk more about that as we come. But yeah, Brave for Day just went on sale for October 15th. I'm going to have uh, Kelly Johnson and Marquise Grissom. No, I'm sorry. I'm going to have uh, Andrew Jones and uh ryan klesko with nice. me on october 15th those two guys marquise and kelly are doing something else but uh, but yeah so check that out uh, braves.com slash alumni and then click on the Brave for day tab and i'll have 30 spots available um i don't know it went on just went on sale so uh yeah sign up it went we went fast last time we'll have four hours on the f- uh four hour event two on the field uh we'll have q a autographs lunch in the sun trust club these guys are going to work with you on your hitting fielding Um, i'll work with you on your pitching and then you'll get a private tour of the stadium at the very end it's a lot of fun it's four hours um, and i've done a bunch of these over the last uh, 10 years and they're just they're just one of the uh, top uh, events that I do along with Fantasy Camp Brave for Days probably number two um, and I think uh, so if
1: you haven't done it come on out uh, check out the website email me if you have any questions awesome yeah. be sure to check that out um, and also continue to rate, review, subscribe uh, Behind the Braves presented by Billy Reed on Apple Podcasts Spotify Braves.com slash Behind the Braves wherever you get your podcasts or check us out on YouTube today's episode with Jason Parry will be on YouTube thanks to the awesome guys at Braves Vision for for doing all the hard work and putting that together for us certainly these two hillbillies sitting here aren't qualified enough to uh, be able to shoot all that and put it together so thanks to them and uh, again thanks to all of you for listening and uh, we'll see you next time on behind the braves